Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. There are no Republicans representing New England in the U.S. House. In Connecticut, it's been that way since Congressman Chris Shays lost re-election in 2008 after serving 10 terms. But a former state senator, George Logan, is challenging incumbent Representative Johanna Hayes in the 5th Congressional District. And the race is one of the most competitive this midterm election. Democrat insiders are desperate. They want you to be afraid of me. But I've worked with Republicans and Democrats to deliver results. That's Logan in a campaign ad. Today, where we live, he joins us to talk about his campaign and answer your questions, too. Our conversation isn't limited to our live radio stream. You can also watch online at Connecticut Public's website, Facebook page, or on YouTube. Or you can call in with your question. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Again, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. George Logan is the Republican nominee for Connecticut's 5th Congressional District. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Lucy. Pleasure to be here. So how you feeling? What is it, three weeks to go before yes, Election Day? exactly. Three weeks today. I'm very excited. You know, uh, uh, momentum is going our way. We're uh, gaining uh, new supporters, uh, you know, every day. And, um, you know, uh, our message is resonating. So it's, uh, it's a good thing, yeah. Uh, We played a clip from one of your early campaign ads. Uh, Part of that ad addressed a since-deleted tweet from the Democratic State Central Committee. It featured language imitating the Curious George children's book, something we'd asked Representative Hayes as well when she was on a few Mm -hmm. weeks ago. You called uh, that particular tweet derogatory. Why was it important for you to tackle that particular topic in your first campaign ad? Sure. Well, you know, it's important that uh, we focus on the issues that are important, right? Affordability, um, community safety, uh, education, uh, the opioid epidemic. And I could see the uh, trend uh, from the uh, Democrat State Party and my opponent uh, to try to, uh, in my opinion, uh, move away from the issues that uh, folks in the the district find important and start attacking me personally. So I knew it was coming. And I thought if um, I didn't uh, stick up for myself uh, early on, they would continue to do that and to do it uh, even more so. Um, so, you know, we just figured we'd uh, uh, you know, head it off at the, uh, at, the, at the head at the beginning of the campaign. Um, it, you know, and it has worked. Um, I want my opponent to focus on the issues, focus on her uh, voting record. Uh, I want to focus on solutions for how we can uh, fix our and solve our common problems. Um, you know, people in the district are, are having a, a hard time, you know, putting food on the table, whether it's in Waterbury or Danbury, New Britain, Meriden. Um, I've got folks throughout the entire district, uh, uh, seniors, uh, fixed incomes, uh, you know, veterans um, who are struggling. Uh, so I think it's important that um, we show that um, there is an alternative. Um, my campaign uh, will, will provide that alternative. I will focus on affordability issues uh, when I'm in Congress thinking positively. I will focus on community safety, and um, I think I'll do a better job uh, than the incumbent has in those areas. 
When we asked Representative Hayes about that tweet, you know, she had nothing to do with that tweet, and she then deleted it when she had retweeted it. Um, so when we think about, again, uh, the issues at hand, uh, you're talking about inflation and the economy as the primary issue of what you're hoping to address when you go to Washington if elected? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, you know, uh, part of the issue is that we need to be a voice for the people of the district. We need to show uh, leadership. Uh, so for that particular uh, tweet, uh, you know, my opponent, she uh, retweeted it um, and then didn't take it down until there was pressure to do so. Uh, and that's the type of weak uh, leadership, I think, that uh, and the sort of uh, um, you know, partisanship that uh, folks are tired of. Um, so, you know, I want to show that um, there's a different way that we can go. Um, I want to do everything I can to work across the aisle. Republicans and Democrats working together to solve our common problems. You know, here in the uh, district, I'm getting a lot of support uh, from not just uh, uh, Republicans, uh, but also uh, moderate uh, Democrats. Uh, I've been cross-endorsed by the Independent Party of Connecticut um, as well. There's so many unaffiliated voters in the district as well, and just people that are just uh, fed up with the, you know, party uh, labels. You know, they uh, want... uh, uh, people to represent them that's going to speak about their issues and they're actually going to help to improve uh, you know their particular situation their particular lives uh, and I think I can do a better uh, job at that you said that you're tired of labels but would you describe yourself as a moderate Republican yes I would yes I absolutely would describe myself as a proud uh, Connecticut Republican and certainly uh, a moderate at that yes mm-hmm. I'm I'm uh, you know more um, uh, moderate when it comes to dealing with like, social issues, you know, um, and more conservative leaning uh, when it comes to financial uh, fiscal issues. I believe that uh, the best way to solve our economic uh, crisis here in Connecticut and as a nation uh, is to have a strong economy. Uh, I don't uh, uh, believe in um, uh, excessive spending packages that I believe, uh, you know, here in Connecticut has, in, has resulted in debt and in Washington has resulted in, um, I think, inflation uh, that uh, we're seeing that's affecting everyone. Um, so I think we need to be, I think, more uh, diligent and responsible in how we uh, use taxpayers' money. And I'm also um, uh, really adamantly against uh, um, you know, higher taxes, more taxes that are affecting working families and, and, you know, again, our seniors and and veterans as well. You're hearing George Logan here where we live. He's the Republican endorsed candidate, the nominee for the 5th Congressional District. You can ask your question by calling in 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, When we talk about campaign ads, your campaign recently sent cease and desist letters to local TV stations uh, airing one Hayes ad that suggested you, quote, refuse to support Roe v. Wade and that you side with extreme Republicans. Uh, Tell us about why you had to send those letters and where you stand on that issue. Sure. Again, uh, we need to focus on on the issues that are affecting uh, families and seniors and veterans in our our district. And, you know, the ads that are coming out, they've been very uh, negative and very misleading at best, if not straight out lies. Um, In the state uh, Senate, um, I had a 100% rating in supporting a women's reproductive rights issues. I've been consistent in my uh, support of a woman's right to choose as long as it's safe, uh, legal, uh, and rare. Um, So to try to put me in that uh, box, again, something that we just can't sit idly by uh, and accept. It's uh, giving voters the 
potential voters the wrong uh, idea in terms of where I stand on the, uh, you know, on the issues. And so we couldn't stand for that. So you support a woman's right to choose, but with the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision overturning Roe, uh, it uh, permits the states uh, to decide uh, access to abortion if it should be legal or not. And so do you support the st- that states should have the, the right to decide if abortion should be permitted in the particular jurisdiction? Yeah, so my uh, comments related to the overturning of Roe v. Wade has to do with um, you know, the three branches of government, right? I am running for Congress, uh, not for the Supreme Court. Um, and so my job will be to um, make sure that I abide by the laws that, and the decisions that come down rather from the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, I support states' rights. I support uh, Connecticut's laws when it comes to a woman's right to choose. Uh, and I will go to Washington. Um, to support and back the laws that we have on the books here in uh, Connecticut. Um, the Supreme Court decided that it should be up to the states. Um, you know, I want to go to Washington to make sure that a woman's right to choose uh, in Connecticut is not infringed upon uh, in any way. And I certainly would uh, um, uh, encourage other states to follow suit with what we have here in Connecticut. Um, but the issue is whether we believe that the um, Congress uh, should impose that onto all the states. And again, the Supreme Court has made that de- you know, decision. And um, until they decide to otherwise, I'm going to focus on making sure that here in Connecticut, uh, a woman's right to choose as codified, right, as baked into Connecticut state law is not infringed upon in any way. And I will uh, do everything, every ounce uh, uh, in my being uh, to support uh, what we have on the books here in, uh, in Connecticut. We know uh, State Senator, or sorry, U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham uh, proposed a federal ban on abortion. If you were elected and you were sitting in the U.S. House, would you support that that legislation? Uh, Absolutely not. I do not uh, support uh, any national ban on abortion. You know, and I I tell folks, look, um, when I go down to uh, Washington, just like in any organization, like in any family, um, I'm not going to agree with any congressman, man or woman uh, in Washington on every single issue. Um, the current, for example, um, Republican House leadership, they know where I stand on the issues, uh, but there are areas where we have, we can work uh, together, right, when it comes to um, affordability, you know, when it comes to uh, community safety, when it comes to education, there are just so many, when it comes to veterans, comes to our seniors, um, there's so many areas where we can work uh, together. And, you know, I was known for working across the aisle, and, uh, you know, I am uh, uh, more of a, a leader than a, a follower. I will not be uh, uh, voting strictly along party lines in uh, Washington. Uh, my opponent, um, conversely, has. She's voted 100% in line with all of the priorities of uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I will not be doing that in Washington. I will go to Washington to represent the people of the uh, 5th Congressional District. I will work with Republicans and Democrats to solve our common problems. Uh, and um, for me, I will look at the bills for what they what they are. I will do what I can to uh, ne- negotiate and try to affect bills so that they have the uh, maximum positive impact for everyone, uh, Democrats, Republicans, independents, and otherwise, uh, living in uh, the 5th Congressional District. I want to take some calls from listeners. Again, you can join us at 888-720-9677 or add your comment to our social at Facebook or Twitter. Just search where we live. Liz is calling in from New Britain. Liz, what's your question for George Logan? Yes, good morning, Mr. Logan. Uh, I was interested to hear you say that you're a proud, moderate Republican, um, and I would like to ask you, since you're 
uh, asserting, and your campaign literature, as well as your words this morning, are saying that Congresswoman Hayes has supported 100% what Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, party line stuff. Um, so I'm wondering, how would you have voted? Would you have voted with the party, or would you have defied the party on issues like, because you've talked about excessive spending packages, child tax credit, for example, the extension of the child tax credit. And um, I'd like to know how you would have voted on that, how you will vote on that if that comes up again. Sure. Thank you for that uh, question. Um, So, again, I will uh, support uh, bills and proposals that are going to benefit the people of the 5th Congressional District. The child tax credit certainly uh, is important and impactful. I will say this, though. When we look at uh, bills... Part of my frustration in Hartford and what I see in Washington is that oftentimes the bills and these big bill packages, uh, they have good elements to them and there are bad elements to them. And as a uh, legislator here in Connecticut, as a a congressman in Washington, I will have to uh, look at each bill for what's in the bill. um, And then I'm going to have to weigh the pros and cons of the bill. And I will do everything I can to try uh, to make sure that the bill uh, addresses what the intended purpose of the bill is as much as possible. You know, um, in, in Congress, um, unfortunately, because of the, the way the political climate is, um, there are a lot of things that are thrown into, uh, bad things that are thrown into good bills. Um, and it's, uh, you know, challenging for congressmen and women to uh, fully uh, support particular bills because of what's added. I'm going to make sure that I'm very diligent in terms of what are in these bills. I'm going to do everything I can to try to affect the bill language uh, to make sure that it uh, accomplishes its intended purpose. Um, uh, But rest assured, uh, I will be fighting for the people of the 5th Congressional District. I'll be fighting for those folks that are particularly uh, economically uh, disadvantaged uh, and that need assistance. But I also want to make sure that uh, we work towards um, making our economy uh, more, you know, stronger, mm-hmm. making it strive. You know, in the 5th Congressional District, we have lots of uh, uh, manufacturing uh, companies with capacity to grow in Waterbury, Danbury, New Britain. Uh, and, you know, the federal government and even at the state level uh, is not uh, in, in, in very encouraging or helpful uh, with burdensome uh, regulations. I want to do more to help with uh, uh, job creation, job training, um, attract uh, new businesses uh, to Connecticut, help existing businesses uh, expand. Um, and I think um, uh, those are the areas that mm-hmm. folks want us to focus on. Uh, John from New Britain tweeted a follow-up who says he's very concerned about Republican plans to cut Social Security and Medicare. So if elected, would you go along with Republican leaders McCarthy and Scalise? Or will you defend these programs, even if it means siding with Democrats? I will defend all programs that I believe are helpful to the people of the 5th Congressional District. Part of the issue is we need to make sure that we can actually pay and fund uh, these programs. And that's where if we have uh, excessive spending uh, in other uh, areas uh, that's going to increase uh, you know, uh, our, our national debt, it's going to affect our ability to pay for these types of programs. And that's why it's so important that we um, uh, have laser-like focus on how we use the taxpayer uh, money. Um, but when it comes to Social Security, yes, we definitely need to make it as strong as, uh, you know, as possible. Uh, lots of people are depending on it. Um, and I think um, a lot of the policies coming out of Washington is hurting our nation's ability uh, for some of these good programs uh, that people are relying on and counting on. 
So it sounds like you wouldn't support uh, leaders McCarthy and Scalise who want to cut Social Security and Medicare. Uh, I am not interested in cutting Social Security or Medicare. Um, I am interested in providing good uh, health health care opportunities for folks. I mean, certainly if uh, um, if there's any sort of alternative that's uh, decided upon by Congress that's uh, uh, going to make things better, I'm certainly all ears. Uh, but uh, you know, right now I want to make the existing programs uh, uh, better. I want to make sure that uh, they're viable. Uh, and I want to make sure that they're actually helping uh, the people, reaching the people in the 5th Congressional District that need the uh, assistance. I mean, right now, for example, uh, health care is unaffordable. You know, the um, Affordable Care Act, we're definitely very well-intentioned, uh, but it's unaffordable for many people. Um, here in Connecticut, options are very uh, limited. I think we only have, uh, I think there's only one option out there. Uh, we need to work together to do more to make health care uh, more affordable. And, and many of the um, uh, proposals and uh, plans that have come out of uh, Washington under the Biden administration um, have not helped at all. Right, healthcare is less affordable now, not more affordable. Uh, so, you know, we need to really uh, you know, focus on that and and take a look and find ways to uh, make healthcare uh, uh, more affordable, uh, prescription drugs more affordable. I know there was a recently a bill was passed, but prescription drug prices have not come down; they're still going up. So, uh, we need to do better. So, does that mean you would put pressure on insurance companies to help rein in costs? Well, you know, a lot of it, you know, has to do with, right, certainly you look at insurance companies, but it's also uh, the government as well, right, in terms of um, um, regulations and how we are, uh, you know, guiding insurance companies in terms of uh, priorities, in terms of costs and those sorts of things. So for me, it's not uh, necessarily an us versus them issue. It's a matter of us all working together to bring health co- care costs down. Look, I'm a, an engineer, right? I'm not a, a medical professional, right? I'm a, a good uh, problem a solver, uh, but I want to bring everybody at the table. I don't want uh, just uh, uh, Congress, uh, you know, sitting in some, you know, committee rooms or halls somewhere, um, you know, figuring out how to fix the healthcare system. We need input from everyone. We need him, input from the uh, healthcare um, companies, healthcare professionals, um, from the advocates of healthcare. Uh, we need to hear from uh, families and, and the, you know, the people who are utilizing those services uh, to come up with a better solution than we have now. I want to take uh, more calls from our listeners. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Valentina is calling in from Farmington. Valentina, you're on the show. Valentina, are you there? Hi. Go ahead. Um, yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep. Uh, just calling to uh, comment on what you said about being um, on board with a woman's right to choose a long that's safe, legal, and fair. While I can certainly agree with the first qualifier, the second two bring me no comfort. Um, it's the fact that it's legal in Connecticut is lovely, but if we don't protect that in other places in our nation, it won't be legal in Connecticut here for long. And as far as it being rare, I don't see why you feel the need to make any comments on that at all if it's a woman's right to choose. <laughs> um, that Those are some interesting qualifiers to add. Sure. No, thank you for that. And, you know, we certainly um, people are going to have differences of opinion. I certainly am in uh, favor of women's right to choose. Um, but with, you know, restrictions, I don't, my, you know, th- this campaign is about contrast. My uh, opponent uh, uh, 
uh, believes in abortion with uh, no restrictions. I, I am adamantly opposed to late-term uh, abortion. Um, and so Can that's... I ask, uh, you yes. often bring up you're opposed to late-term abortions, yes. but the majority, more than half of abortions that happen in this country are medication abortions. So abortions that pills that are taken in the first uh, trimester. And so I'm wondering why you keep bringing up your opposition to late-term abortion when we think about why people are accessing abortion and when. Sure. Um, so late-term abortion, is one, is an issue that I'm hearing from folks throughout the, uh, the district. And, and there are exceptions as well, particularly for um, emergencies and medical emergencies and those uh, sorts of things. Um, you know, I, am, uh, I just think it's important uh, that we're clear in terms of uh, how we approach the issue of uh, abortion. And I do think there is a distinct difference. Uh, I, I, I talk to folks throughout the district, and, and folks are... are, are, are are not that many folks are not in favor of late-term abortion, where you have a, a viable a fetus that could actually uh, uh, be a, a viable outside of the womb. Um, it, it's it's something that uh, um, I think we need to uh, try to do our best um, to address the issue. Um, and there's difference of opinion on there, and that and that's just and so it's just a matter of uh, whether if you are in favor of abortion with no restrictions. Um, uh, I do believe there should be some uh, restrictions. We need to take a quick break. Again, you're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public. My guest today, George Logan, the Republican-endorsed candidate, the nominee running in the 5th Congressional District against Representative Johanna Hayes. You can also watch online at Connecticut Public's website, Facebook page, or on YouTube, or call in with your question. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today is former state senator George Logan, who's running to unseat incumbent Representative Johanna Hayes in Connecticut's 5th Congressional District. Do you live in the 5th District? What issues matter to you? You can add your question for George Logan on our Facebook or on Twitter. Search where we live or just call in. Here's the number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, George, we had a, a, a Facebook uh, comment from Frank who wanted to know how you would have voted on the Inflation Reduction Act. This act provided tremendous benefits for our district. If you were in the U.S. House, would you have been the only Republican to vote for it? Um, I would have voted against the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, 
clearly uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is another one of these excessive spending packages that has not reduced inflation. Uh, inflation has been has gone up. Um, the cost of groceries and gas continues to go up. Um, it has hundreds of uh, millions of dollars in uh, new uh, taxes that um, you know middle class and working um, uh, families have to uh, pay. Um, to me, that's just another example of one of the false uh, promises coming out of the uh, leadership in, uh, in Washington. Um, so um, the bill is not accomplishing its desired goal. Um, I would have pointed that out uh, in the uh, in Congress, and I would have, uh, you know, tried to modify it in a way so that it uh, uh, actually did, would have more of an impact on reducing uh, inflation. Such as, well, uh, one, um, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, you know, includes uh, um, lots of provisions that have nothing to do with reducing inflation. Right? The, the uh, there's lots of uh, climate initiatives that are in that bill. I think those climate initiatives should have been in their own in their own bill and uh, not in the Inflation uh, Reduction uh, Act. Um, I believe that, uh, for example, focusing on energy uh, inde uh, independence um, in the Inflation Reduction Act would have been uh, far more helpful than putting climate uh, change initiatives in the Inflation Reduction Act bill. Um, you know, we were um, we were moving towards energy independence. Uh, the current administration, um, for, you know, first week in office. Um, stopped that advancement, and now we're relying on oil and gas from countries like Saudi Arabia and Venezuela. And you heard uh, Saudi Arabia just recently um, uh, chose to cut production, which is going to have a negative effect uh, here. I don't believe that foreign countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia and Venezuela and China can produce the oil and gas that we need uh, in a way that's uh, better than we can for our uh, for the environment. Um, so that's a, a huge example of where I would have put, again, the climate initiatives and its own bill, and I would have put um, American uh, energy independence in the Inflation Reduction mm -hmm. Act because the whole purpose of the bill is to make things more affordable. Uh, my understanding, uh, part of the Inflation Reduction Act would actually force the interior to open up the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge again mm -hmm. to bids uh, for uh, looking again for uh, more uh, oil yeah. uh, and, and gas. And so I'm wondering, um, when we think about the onus on the volatility of the market, sure. um, thinking about uh, ways that we're, this country cannot be uh, so dependent on other countries, uh, the fossil fuel companies and markets are still reeling from the pandemic pandemic uh, sure. and uh, the costs that they've lost. So they're limiting the risk. Mm -hmm. And so I was curious, you know, what your thoughts are there in terms of, you know, trying to help this situation beyond criticizing this particular act? Well, again, helping the situation would be for us to achieve energy independence, right? Mm -hmm. Would be for us, because we have the ability, uh, we have the uh, Federal Reserve lands that are available where we can produce all of the gas and oil uh, that we uh, need. Um, I think that um, is the best way uh, for us to control our energy uh, costs here in the United States. I also believe it's the best way for us to actually achieve our uh, climate change goals. I believe, you know, it's the engineering me. You know, everything is a process. First, we have to achieve energy independence. As we work towards weaning ourselves off of fossil fuels, because I think that is absolutely a noble uh, goal. But in order to achieve that, I believe that first we need to um, um, re uh, reach and uh, obtain energy uh, independence. We're not relying on other countries so that we can put plans in place to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels uh, over, over time.
But back to my original question, you know, recent attempts to open up new parts of the U.S. to oil drilling have failed mm-hmm. because of the lack of interest from oil companies. They're limiting the risk. So how do we solve that problem? No, I don't think it's a, a lack of uh, interest from oil companies. It's a matter of the um, um, requirements and provisions and taxes that are put uh, on oil companies uh, to do the exploration. Uh, exploration. That is what has uh, uh, discouraged uh, oil companies uh, from uh, doing it because we were on the on, on the path of being energy independent. So, again, burdensome regulations, costly regulations that's making it uh, uh, difficult and discouraging oil companies uh, from um, uh, you know, producing oil here in our, in our country. And that's, again, where I go back to um, it's a leadership uh, uh, issue. Uh, we need to... Um, have our uh, laws and regulations that are uh, encouraging of energy independence. So the uh, Biden-Harris uh, administration uh, are not interested in our country achieving energy independence, not interested in uh, oil companies doing uh, oil uh, and gas exploration in our country. So they're making it difficult uh, for them to uh, to actually do that and aff- afford to do that and to do it in a way that obviously is going to uh, uh, be profitable for them. We're going to take some more calls. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, as I talk with George Logan, the Republican nominee for Connecticut's 5th Congressional District. Uh, Edith is calling in from Canton, also part of the 5th District. Uh, Edith, go ahead with your question. Yes, good morning. Uh, Mr. Logan, I understand that you are <clears throat> pardon me, employed at, by Eversource. Do you feel that that is the conflict in any way? Yeah, thank you for that question. So uh, I work for um, a local water company uh, since uh, 1992. Um, I started off as a, a junior engineer, became a senior engineer, then director of engineering uh, for the uh, local water company. Um, you know, I have uh, uh, managed and, and put actual water infrastructure to bring green, uh, clean drinking water to communities throughout the 5th Congressional District, water uh, pump stations, water treatment plants. Uh, I put water mains in the, in the ground. Um, you know, Eversource uh, uh, purchased uh, my water company back in, uh, 2000, in uh, December of 2017. Uh, I still work for the water company. Um, you know, just keep in mind that uh, thinking positively, uh, once I uh, win this uh, election, um, um, being a congressman is a full-time job. Uh, I will not be working for the, uh, uh, you know, the water company um, in, in that sense. Uh, and, you know, I don't see any conflict in any way. Um, my entire uh, efforts will be towards um, doing totally what's best for the people of the 5th Congressional District. But I tell you, I am very proud of my uh, time at the water company actually building uh, infrastructure. Actually, you know, I go out into the community uh, uh, to um, try to encourage water uh, conservation. Uh, I'm on the Housatonic Valley Association Board of uh, Directors. I'm one of the, uh, you know, vice presidents of the, uh, of the, uh, of the volunteer uh, board. I've been on it for several years. Uh, so the environment is very important uh, to me. Um, and again, I'm uh, proud of my work uh, bringing uh, the natural resource to, and clean drinking water to people throughout the district. So this is Aquarian Water Company, a utility owned by Eversource. Uh, we got a tweet the other day who wants to know why Aquarian Water Company is trying to raise the rates during a time of high inflation. How will this impact people struggling to pay their water bills? We just talked about the high costs sure, that people are sure. shouldering. So how do you respond to that, that tweet? Sure. Uh, so... Due to inflation, right, it's affecting uh, 
um, families, it's affecting seniors and veterans, it's also affecting uh, companies and organizations, right? Um, the cost of uh, materials, supply chain issues is driving up the cost uh, everywhere. Um, so, you know, the water company is a regulated entity and, um, you know, it's up to our state regulators, the uh, Pura, Connecticut Pura, uh, to um, take a look at um, what the water company is asking for and, you know, make a decision to make sure that um, folks are paying the, you know, the right price for uh, the water. So I, I trust in Pura to, to you know, do a good you know, job and do the right thing. And, um, yeah, it's... It's, uh, it's unfortunately what we are all facing with because of the high inflation. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to maybe talk a little bit more about some of the other issues that you've been hearing from uh, potential constituents in the 5th, including education. Yes. Education has become a hot-button topic. Yes. Uh, politicians uh, who are inferring that certain things are being taught in schools. So I'm wondering where you stand on supporting teachers. Yes, absolutely. Um, I support uh, teachers. I support parents. Look, I uh, um, believe that uh, um, under um, you know current uh, administration, uh, education has been suffering. I want to bring back more local control to what our kids are being taught uh, in school. Um, I want the uh, parents. I've been hearing from parents throughout the district that they feel boxed out of their child's education. I want uh, parents to have more of a say. Of what's taught locally in their schools. I want uh, the teachers to be involved. Teachers need to be uh, supported. Um, I talk to many teachers as well, and they're you know, uh, not happy with a lot of the uh, mandates that come from uh, Washington and, and the federal uh, government. I think it's important that we bring more local control uh, to our, our schools. I think it's important that, uh, again, parents, uh, teachers play a huge role in that. Have more, and it, uh, teachers need to be uh, supported as well. Uh, and I will uh, do everything I can to encourage, um, you know, more resources uh, to go towards that uh, towards that goal. When you talk about local control, school districts are controlled by their local school boards who mm-hmm. also make decisions on curricula. And these are uh, school board members who are elected by the local community. And mm-hmm. so I'm confused by the emphasis on there needs to be more local control in school. I have two children in the public school, so yes. I'm fully aware of how decisions are made in my district as well. Sure. And it could be an example where you are satisfied with your child being taught at the local schools, but there's many uh, parents throughout the district who are not uh, satisfied. And a lot of, um, you know, as far as the school uh, school boards, um, they're receiving their curriculum and their mandates are coming from uh, Hartford and in some cases from the federal government as well. I, again, I just want the uh, uh, local communities to have more of a control. I want those local school boards to have more of a say of what uh, those curriculums uh, uh, are with input from uh, parents and uh, teachers. Mm-hmm. I think right now it's, it's, uh, it's too top-down. Uh, for a lot of parents in the uh, you know in the fifth congressional district, we've also seen politicians uh, running in our state as well as politicians in other states talking about parental bill of rights and the importance of keeping kitchen table conversations at home. What's your response to that? Is it a distraction from what teachers, uh, staff in schools, and children need right. uh, to make sure that they have safe environments to learn? Sure, I mean certainly having safe environments is very important. Um, but I do believe that we have, particularly in our urban areas, we have a, a, a crisis at hand in terms of reading comprehension scores are extremely low um, in areas like Waterbury and uh, New Britain and Danbury. Um, I think we need to focus more on uh, the core basics in terms of um, reading comprehension, math, 
uh, science. Um, it's all about a balance. And I, I do adamantly believe that, again, um, with more uh, local control, I'm hearing from parents they want their kids to uh, master the basics. Um, and I think we're losing a sight of that to some degree. Mm. Do you support public school education? Yeah, absolutely. I support, I absolutely support public school edu- education. Uh, but I do believe that it uh, is in need of a lot of improvement, again, um, uh, because I, I think that uh, public schools and many of our districts uh, are having a hard time um, really accomplishing the goal of, a, of educating our, our youth. Uh, the test scores speak for themselves. Uh, I do believe that we should at least have a, a conversation uh, about uh, school choice and give, uh, you know, uh, look at the notion of giving parents the uh, option of, uh, you know, sending their kids to, um, you know, local uh, charter school or magnet school or even a parochial uh, school. I believe that um, more Competition for you know competition for students uh, we would potentially only uh, improve our public schools. Uh, you know, there's a notion of um, uh, whether we feel that the public education system in the fifth congressional district, particularly in our urban areas, uh, whether it's working. Uh, I believe that it's uh, it's not at this point, and we need to make some uh, adjustments. To just go along with the status quo is not going to change the situation that we have now. And again, particularly when it comes to uh, reading comprehension and math scores, I think that is a, a, a crucial, critically uh, important area. And you know, again, unfortunately, I, I just think my opponent has not uh, uh, done well in the last uh, few years uh, to improve that situation. It's only getting worse. Uh, so, again, uh, I'm looking to um, uh, change the status quo. I want to fit another call in from the 5th District. Nia is calling in from Waterbury. Nia, you're on the show. Hi, good morning, Lucy. Thank you so much for having my call. And thank you, George. I appreciate you giving your time to answer these questions. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to, you know, uh, one thing that Lucy mentioned is that it just seems like a lot of your stances are mixed with this criticism of the opposing party. And I have to tell you, as a constituent, as a voting constituent, it's literally the most annoying thing to hear. It seems so, especially now, after just going through the Trump era, it just, it just seems like it's just, it's just, I'm just tired of it and it's exhausting. And, um, but one of the things that you mentioned, and I only say that because you mentioned about healthcare costs and healthcare has been a hot button issue for quite some time. So I'm wondering, you know, when you speak about health care issues and how it can be improved, I feel like health care had the cost of health care had been rising for over a decade. Would you agree with that? Yes, I absolutely would, would agree with that. Yes. Okay. So since we're in agreement, we can say that it's not the Democrats or the current administration that is rising costs. We are seeing rising costs everywhere. I just want to know how can we truly like what are some ideas from your brilliant engineering mind. What are some true ideas that we can hold on to, some tangible ideas that we can to bring down health care costs? And thank you, you, Nia. We're almost out of time. We're almost out of time, Nia. So let's get, uh, let George answer that question. Sure. Thank you so much. Sure. Well, uh, for one, and thank you for that uh, question. For one, you know, I am on um, a local hospital board of directors. I've been on the uh, uh, Griffith Hospital Board of Directors for uh, several years now. and you look here at the, in Connecticut, um, the state is taxing hospitals, for example, more and more. And, you know, those costs, you know, get trickled you know, down, uh, you know, to the folks that need our, our services. Um, when you uh, take a look at uh, 
the rising cost of health care and the bureaucracy around our health care system, I think it's a matter of uh, all hands on deck uh, to come together and uh, find uh, solutions, find ways to improve the situation. So for me, it's a matter of uh, just not sticking with the status quo. And, and it, it's... Um, um, disheartening to me uh, if, if I come across as someone who's only uh, towing one party's line. I, I've said repeatedly, I've no, I was known in the Connecticut uh, Senate for working across the aisle, and I will do everything possible to work with uh, Democrats and Republicans, uh, negotiate, uh, take in um, uh, the ideas uh, from, uh, you know, from uh, various uh, uh, people and various uh, uh, stakeholders uh, to solve our, our common problems. And to me, that's what's really important. I believe that that's not happening right now. Uh, in Washington. I want to go down there to fix that. We're almost out of time. You know, I wanted to ask you this earlier, but there has been um, some confusion about where you stand in terms of uh, President Joe Biden being elected fairly. And mm. in, in, so I'd like to know uh, if you could clear that up for our listeners. Do you believe that he was elected fairly? Because there are members of the Republican Party right. who still are claiming that the election um, was false and, and that Donald Trump that was stolen from him. Those claims continue to persist. It is part of the reason the div- divisions in our country Mm-hmm. are consistent. So I wanted to hear you on record tell us what you think about the the election results. Yeah, every, everyone is certainly entitled to their opinion. Uh, there's no confusion on, on my end. Uh, uh, president Joe Biden is president of the United States of America. You know, I want to go down uh, to Washington to bring some better checks and balances. Um, I don't want to go down to Washington to impeach uh, any, uh, any uh, body unless they do something egregiously wrong. Uh, I think that uh, um, in 2024, there'll be another presidential vote and folks will have the opportunity uh, to voice their opinion of uh, the current administration. But I have uh, absolutely no uh, interest uh, whatsoever in going back um, and uh, Monday morning quarterbacking uh, you know, the last presidential election. That is not my uh, goal. Um, I'm looking at the here and, and now and moving forward uh, to try to improve the lives of everyone living uh, you know, in, our, in our district. Do you believe Joe Biden is president and it was a, a fair election? Joe Biden certainly is president of the United States. Uh, you know, we have our election uh, process. Certainly, um, it always can be improved, uh, but it's, it's the fairest process in all of the planet Earth. Um, uh, doesn't mean that there, there aren't improvements that can be made, and that's why we talk about uh, different ways of improving the election process in terms of um, encouraging folks to vote, in terms of uh, you know, uh, access and ability for folks to cast their uh, vote. Uh, but th- there's no, there's no uh, issue on my end in terms of uh, whether uh, President Joe Biden is the commander-in-chief of the United States of America. I just don't like the job that he's doing, right? And I want to go down to Washington and bring some better checks and balances until we can actually uh, hopefully replace President Joe Biden uh, in, um, in 2024. We'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. It's a pleasure to talk with you. George Logan, again, the Republican nominee for Connecticut's 5th Congressional District. As we head to break, you're going to hear Logan fronting his Jimi Hendrix cover band, Electric Lady Band. Good luck to you. Thank you, Lucy. And we're going to get analysis after the break from Paul Hughes with the Waterbury Republican American. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is 
is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. You just heard George Logan, who's running to unseat incumbent Representative Johanna Hayes in the 5th Congressional District. For more on this very competitive race, joining us now in studio is Paul Hughes, who's state capital reporter for the Waterbury Republican American. Welcome back. Yeah, yeah, good to be back. Good to be back. So this you, is going to be an interesting race. Very interesting. I said it's very competitive. How competitive is it? Well, you know, the Logan campaign just put out another internal poll that showed the race, you know, as they called, statistically tied. Yeah, I think uh, it was 48, 46%. Now, I, you know, internal polls, you know, you could take them with a truckload of salt, I guess, if you want. But, I mean, I think that that's the sense, that this, this race is tight um, and that Mr. Logan is definitely within uh, a striking distance. Um, you know, we should find out, on, obviously, we'll all find out on November 8th, but it certainly feels uh, like a tighter race than uh, the last, uh, you know, two uh, when uh, George Logan was talking uh, very much about the inflation, of course, yes. the economy, what are the issues that are impacting uh, families? Is that what constituents in the 5th District are really concerned oh, about? Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's the same all over Connecticut, probably the same all over the U.S. and every, you know, all 435 congressional districts. You know, inflation and the economy are, uh, you know, the top two issues. Taxes is another, another uh, big issue. But we also see, you know, George went to the public safety crime issue here. Um, and we obviously have uh, Johanna and the Democrats focusing on abortion. We had, you know, Vice President Harris here. So, I mean, uh, discussing that with her. So there, there's that sort of um, dynamic going here where they're, they're, they're also appealing to the base because both of them need to get out their Democratic and Republican bases. And you're not going to win in the 5th District or probably anywhere else in Connecticut without the unaffiliated voter. Right. And that was my next question is how is George Logan's uh, campaign stances appealing to the unaffiliated, Paul? Well, it's it's hard to say. Um, you know, uh, I haven't really seen any kind of polling on, on, on that. Um, but, you know, the unaffiliated voter is basically the largest group of voters on the block, on, uh, on the voter rolls. So, you know, if everybody else is concerned about inflation and economy, you can count on those people being concerned about inflation and, and the economy. And, and we'll just see, you know, how it plays out on November 8th. Do, you know, do they say, okay, you know, you know, Hayes, Biden, the Democrats, they've had their, you know, they've had their shot. Let's, let's bring in, in uh, the Republicans and George Logan. Uh, you know, uh, George Logan, as well as Republican Party, have really hit on his opponent, uh, Johanna Hayes, being lockstep with the National Democratic Party, including mm. uh, Nancy Pelosi. And so I'm wondering uh, what you've heard from the campaign trail in terms of, you know, if he is elected in the 5th District, you know, how much of an allegiance will he have to national Republicans? Well, that's very interesting because there was a news conference in Meriden uh, where uh, Mr. Logan is now residing. Um, in which he and the uh, four, uh, uh, four of the other Republican House candidates, a fifth couldn't make it, lined up behind the Commitment to America, which is uh, GOP leader Kevin McCarthy's uh, midterm legislative agenda. Uh, so at that news conference, you heard Republicans again saying, oh, you know, my Democratic opponent, in his case, Johanna Hayes, you know, marches in lockstep with, with the Democratic leadership. But, but I'll be an independent-minded person. Um, well... As we pointed out earlier, you know, folks tend to vote with their party more often than not. Um, and, you know, the, the counter argument from, from Democrats is, well, if you send somebody like Mr. Logan or, you know, one of the other Republicans who say, I'm going to, you know, 
vote a different way or I'll be willing to break with my party. If a majority of that party still votes to do the thing that, you know, no, that they're opposing, it, that's going to be the law. That's going to be the policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of how he answered the Joe Biden question? <laughs> I was, you know, okay, he's the president. Uh, I, I think it was a delicate dance. I mean, you know, there, there, there are obviously uh, voters in the Republican Party and, and unaffiliated voters probably too uh, that don't necessarily believe the 2020 election was on the up and up. Uh, I believe what the former president uh, Donald Trump and his supporters have said about the election being stolen or maybe they just have questions about, well, was it really, you know, a fair and free election and an honest election? So, you know, I, I don't know how much of an issue that really is in, in, in the end when people go in to vote. I, I think it tends to be more of those pocketbook issues. Mm-hmm. The reason I bring that up when we think about the amount of outside money coming in to the 5th oh, yeah. District, we saw uh, Vice President uh, Harris here yeah. for uh, Johanna Hayes. We've got House uh, Representative Elise Stefanik, who yes. is the third most powerful Republican in the House. There's a reason she is, because they ousted Liz Cheney yes. for what she called out the Republicans for uh, the, claiming that the election was stolen, as well as uh, su- uh, supporting Donald Trump. And so, you know, when you're talking about the constituents, that doesn't um, you don't think that'll matter to voters in the in the fifth. Uh, when we think about Stefanik, who also voted, she wasn't going to certify the results from Pennsylvania. Well, I don't know how much of an association people make between you know the candidates and the people they bring in to fundraise for them. Obviously, the opposition does. You know, you heard a lot about the the, the uh, from the Democrats about Stefanik, and you heard a lot uh, uh, from the Republicans about Harris coming in. Um, again, I think those sort of tend to reinforce you know the base. Um, you know, will it turn off some voters? I mean, you know, the undecided, those that that, that sliver of of voters, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I it's it remains to be seen. Yeah, it's 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 national politics, and this is more kind of a local mm-hmm. scene. What do you expect to see in the in the next three weeks for this race? Oh, I I, I expect to see a lot more money coming in and a lot more uh, political ads. Um, you know, it, it was interesting because I was just you know when you guys were uh, talking, I was looking up some of the numbers there and. Y- you know, part of the problem, I think, is for, for Mr. Logan, he's got to counter the cities in this district. And they have voted, you know, Democratic. I was just looking at, at some of the, like, you know, Danbury, Merritt, and New Britain, uh, Waterbury. You know, she won by about 38,000 votes last time, and those cities accounted for, like, 31,000 votes. So, you know, he's... You know, it's that sort of we've mm-hmm. seen in Connecticut, the Republican, the suburban versus, you know, yeah. uh, urban strategy and really haven't seen that anybody quite pull that off yet. But it, it's still possible. And this district is, you know, a, a competitive one. Again, Paul Hughes from the Waterbury Republican American. Thank you for coming in. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Special thanks to Gina Matruda and the Connecticut Public's Operations, Visuals and Digital Teams. Thanks for listening. <laughs>